People will always talk about Jesus turning water into wine, and it is admittedly a pretty great party trick. But I am way more impressed with Mary here. The party has been going on for a while, but it is meant to continue for days. Sometimes the revelry would last for a week, and it all matters. More than just being about the couple, it is a gathering of and for the whole community. My guess is that most folks are just enjoying themselves. They are eating and drinking and lounging about. They are dancing and making music and catching up with old friends. Maybe Mary is doing these things, but she's also paying attention, noticing enough to see that the whole thing is about to go off the rails. She sees the the server's furrowed brows. She watches as they share hushed conversations, darting back and forth, throwing their hands in the air. What are they supposed to do? Scholars often talk about how the reputation of the hosts is on the line here, how running out of wine would bring such great shame to them and their family. This week I read another perspective, that because all the guests were expected to bring food and drink to help fuel the festivities, running dry would weigh on everyone. They would all lament the early end of the party as evidence of the community failing to pull through. Mary sees this, and she has compassion on all of them with just enough time to do something, or rather to tell him to do something. She grabs his ear and names the need. Son, they have no wine. And he pays her no mind at first, But that's okay. Mary expects that goodness lies out ahead of them and finds the servants quietly instructing them to just trust Jesus and do whatever he says. Something shifts in him. We're not told what, but but it's Mary. Mary has set this abundance into motion. It's not just the, what is it, 150 or so gallons of wine. It's not just the party in Cana all those 2,000 years ago. This surprising, seemingly unnecessary extravagance shows up all over the place. Still, this wondrous abundance, it, it comes in quieter places sometimes, almost hidden out. Several months ago, a friend led me to one such place. We made our way through the, uh, an industrial part of Richmond, past old warehouses and the rail yard, zigzagging through patched and cratered streets, 
We, uh, we spotted lewd bumper stickers and lots of razor wire and this, this yard stacked with dozens and dozens of Coke machines. Finally, we turned into a flooded gravel parking lot. And we were greeted by a massive dinosaur and flowers that towered over our heads. Stepping through the hand-painted gate into Annie's annuals, I gaped at the two and a half acres of flowers spreading out in every direction. I didn't know where even to begin and, and wound my way around in happy circles. There were, there were 27 kinds of poppies and scads of begonias and, and marigolds as big as a child's head. I had uh, I'd lost myself in the red and blue and purple and fuchsia salvia when after... I don't know, some extended period of time, I think, I looked up to see my friend grinning at me from across a bunch of rows, and I suspected he was chuckling at me uh, just a little as I, I flapped around in delight, meeting all these different wonders. To be fair, I, I was making a bit of a spectacle. I just couldn't I just couldn't believe how extravagant this place was. And even more, I was taken by their generosity. All the plants were in just four-inch pots or smaller. They were really trying to get them out into as many gardens as possible. It was a feast designed to be shared. As I settled into this amazing spread, I, I began to linger a little longer with the different plants. And, and I noticed there were signs accompanying them, not just giving their names or the basic information. The signs told the plants stories. They painted a picture of what was in store with whimsy and contagious enthusiasm. Listen to a few of them. One sign read, Welcome spring with the sweet scent and sunny innocence of California native tidy tips. Though this was not to be mistaken for Sierra tidy tips, which they exclaimed is a most enthusiastic bloomer, bursting with an astounding mass of flowers. Of Facilia Visita, the gardener wrote, I just love this, they wrote, at night I often dream of plants too radiantly blue to be real, but this rare and fast-growing California native totally satisfies my not uncommon lust for true, true royal blue flowers. Finally, another gardener asked, can the color white be showy. It can and is on this delightful cosmos. The petals display fine pleats and scalloped edges, looking for all the world like crisply pressed linens. Now, I can spend 
I can happily spend a lot of time and even more money in just about any plant nursery. It is in my DNA. But my mind keeps returning to these wonderful, playful signs at Annie's, the the likes of which I have not found anywhere else. The signs pointed to something greater yet to come, something overflowing with the joy of creation. This is what's happening at the wedding in Cana. Folks often talk about the the vats of water turned wine as a miracle. But in his gospel, John doesn't talk about the miracles of Jesus. He calls them signs. Jesus' actions of shocking change and stunning healing are not ultimately the point. They are signs. They point beyond themselves. They lead us on, directing us towards greater truth. They point to what God is up to in the world and what we might join in bringing to life if we follow. Here at the wedding, the sign knits people together. The new wine extends hospitality. It holds people present shoulder to shoulder. But unlike all but one of the other signs in John's gospel, this one is not just for the people who are hurting. He's not healing the sick or giving freedom back to those who have lived on the margins. Here, Jesus is simply offering delight and connection, offering it in abundance to every last person. He's giving so much of it that it can only be shared. And Mary, Mary set all this in motion. My hunch, though, is that brilliant as she was, she didn't know how Jesus would solve this conundrum. Organize a progressive dinner party, hit up each house in the village, Or bring them up the side of a mountain, teach them new parables to make sense of this disastrous wedding reception. Or or flip the tables, usher in a new kind of party altogether. Maybe, maybe it could have been any of those. She didn't know. And maybe, maybe we don't know how any of this is going to play out. I sure don't. Maybe we don't know what God is going to do with this disarray, with, with all these tired people who are more than a little thin on hope right now. But maybe we don't have to know how God is going to offer abundant life this time. Maybe, like Mary, we can remember the signs we've seen before and bank on the hope that it was not some fleeting one-time deal. Mary saw Jesus growing into this ministry over years. She had clues. She had the wonder that she pondered in her heart. All these little signs pointing to the goodness of life in God. I suspect 
We have all, all of us, encountered signs like these, though it's easy to pass them by. Now seems like the time to reach for these signs again and trust them, build on them. Like Mary, we get to notice the need in our midst and name it bluntly and trust that God is still working out this goodness now and always. Look, here are acres, acres of these four-inch pots, each promising to grow such beauty as we could not dream up. The signs tell us so, exclaiming that they will be bloomiferous and effervescent and flamboyant. It's not all here, not yet, but it has taken root and is on the way. Keep watching the signs, friends. Even if we have no idea how it will happen, God is bringing abundant life. It came long ago at that party, and it is delight that God is bringing still.